the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome. You are listening to Hope and Faith Ministry, a broadcast of the historic People's Baptist Church in Boston, New England's oldest African-American church. Hope and Faith Ministry features the inspirational sermons of my father, Dr. Wesley Roberts, Senior Pastor at People's Baptist Church. We're so glad you're here. Dr. Roberts has a powerful message of hope and love for your life and mine. Now enjoy this broadcast of Hope and Faith Ministry, brought to you from People's Baptist Church of Boston. Good morning, People's Baptist Church, and welcome to all those who have joined us for this worship service. We're thankful to God for all of you and pray that God's grace and mercy will be felt by you as you worship with us this morning. The title of the message is The Prodigal's Brother. The Prodigal Son's Brother. The Bible is like a family album. It contains, among other things, a collection of portraits. Within its pages, we can see ourselves, our friends, and every person we have ever known. One of the characteristics of these portraits is that they are all true representations. They're like the untouched proofs of the photographer. Every wrinkle and every blemish can be seen. Last week we looked at the prodigal son and followed him in our thoughts from his father's house into the far country where he wasted all of his money in wild living and then came to his senses and decided to return home. We observed how heartily he was welcomed by his father. His was a portrait of the person lost in sin or a portrait of the backslider which fits many of us. The portrait of the elder brother is a portrait we have seen before. His portrait reminds us of people who are upset when God blesses his people. His portrait reminds us of people who do not like it when the prodigal sons come home. His portrait reminds us of people who refuse to rejoice over what God is doing because it isn't done their way. Every church has an elder brother or elder sister in its family. You will have to decide whether you are that elder brother or elder sister or not. The story of the elder brother illustrates the possibility of three things. First, sonship without brotherhood. Picking up the story in Luke chapter 15, after the prodigal son had come home, 
Jesus said, Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the field working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he was, and he asked one of his servants, What was going on? Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed a fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. This young man was proud to be his father's eldest son. He was proud of the position he occupied in the family. He was not the sort of son for whom his father had to apologize or blush for shame. He was industrious and lived a clean and honorable life. If anyone asked the townspeople about the older brother, they would say, he's a good son. Some would probably add that the father had one reprobate son who broke his heart, and an older son who is a fine, hard-working, loyal, and respectable young man. It is to his credit that we find him out in the field working when the younger son returns home. But as you examine the record, you will find that while the older son took every advantage of the privilege of sonship, there is nothing in the story to suggest that he ever recognized that relationship to his father imposed upon him a certain obligation to his brother. Here was a good son, but a poor brother. As the older brother, it was his responsibility to go after his missing sibling. He didn't do that. He didn't care what happened to his brother. From a religious point of view, the older brother could be a perfectly good member of a church, a fine Christian. But his Christianity was self-centered. He was concerned only with his own interests and was indifferent to the world about him. Many of us can boast of having a very clear and definite religious encounter with Jesus. We know our place in heaven is secure, and we are quick to claim the privileges that are ours as children of God. And yet month after month and year after year pass, and we remain indifferent to the spiritual needs of our fellow human beings, the people uh, that we live with and the people that we mix with every day. The older brother, seeing the abundance of his father's table, did not pause once to ask, what is the meaning of it? Who ought to be at the table enjoying the abundance of my father's house? He was not distressed by the vacant chair at the father's table. He was not distressed by his brother's absence. How many Christians are like that, who are never uncomfortable by the empty pews in their church? In order to relieve themselves of their responsibility, they will at times point out to the evil times in which we are living. And they point to the attractions of the world and resign themselves to the fact that the church has lost its appeal to the younger generation. These things, however, are not the cause of the empty seats in the house of God. 
the cause is a spirit of the elder brother or elder sister inside the church. The story is told that when D.L. Moody, the great American evangelist, was um, born in Northfield, uh, Massachusetts, that when he went to Chicago as a young man, he went to a church where they had rented pews. He needed one seat, but he rented a whole pew. Then he went out on the street and brought people in to fill the pew. As soon as he could afford it, he rented a second pew and filled that also. It is said that in those days, Moody's pastor was always sure of having two pews in his church full. Rain or shine, summer or winter, it made no difference. Two pews were always filled from end to end. So the question is, why? Because there was someone sitting in one of those pews who could not fully enjoy the worship service or we could say the spiritual meal unless he had someone to, sh- to share it. And he went out and gathered people to be with him. The elder brother did absolutely nothing to bring his brother home. His brother came home, thank God, in spite of him, not because of him. He didn't speak one word or perform one act to bring his brother back. Isn't he typical of many of us today? If God stretches forth his hand in the conversion of the lost, it will be in spite of many of us, not because of us. So what are we doing to bring lost brothers and sisters into the kingdom of God? Are we genuine sons and daughters, but poor brothers and sisters? But the second observation is that you can have service without love. Service without love. Verses 28 through 30 says... His father came out and begged him, that is to enter the party, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. Here we see for the first time the selfishness and the self-righteousness of the elder brother. In these brief words, the elder brother revealed himself as he really was. His heart is laid open before us and we discover that bitter jealousy and self-righteousness have long alienated him from his father and his brother. Here his proud and angry boast to his father, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Not only does the older brother point to his years of faithful service, but he also points out all of the things he had missed out on. 
and sacrificed in order to serve his father. Have you ever felt like that? You start thinking about all the things you have missed out in life because you're a Christian and you have dedicated yourself to serving the Lord. Oh, I've met many Christians whose faith seems such a burden to them. You get the idea that they were born unhappy. I think the church is guilty sometimes of communicating to the world. If it is fun, it can't be spiritual. In reality, nothing could be further from the truth. Perhaps part of the problem is that we have focused more on what we can't do as Christians than what we can do. You're a moral person. You come to church. You don't curse, drink, or steal. You have been baptized and belong to the church. By all appearances, you are as good or better than anyone around you. The Lord knows our true condition. We can fool others, but we can't fool him. Indeed, Samuel told Saul in First Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7, the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, you can be good, moral, and active in church and still be lost. Jesus said so in Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23. He says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. You see, you might think you are right with God, but you can't simply trust the feelings, your feelings. You need something more. You need to have the objective word of God which affirms that you are a child of God. Because the heart is wicked and deceitful and only God knows our hearts. Now, I'm not trying to make anyone doubt their salvation. I'm simply saying that religion does not equal salvation. Church membership does not equal conversion. Being close to the things of God does not equal being saved by the grace of God. Being in a church does not make you a Christian any more than sleeping in a garage makes you a car. You must not depend on who you are or what you have done for your salvation. You must, as Jesus said, be born again. You see, God is thrilled with those Christians who live faithful, obedient lives. This should be the objective of every Christian to keep God's commandments, to resist temptation, and to never leave the Father. However, one's faithfulness never gives a person a right to feel self-righteous and spiritually superior to others. The elder brother is sometimes a leader in the church or an influential member of the community. He or she may see others as inferior and treat them as objects rather than people. But whatever may be the claim of a self-righteous person, they are lacking in the most basic ingredient of the Christian life, 
and that is love. It is this lack of love that prevents one from sharing the concern, the burden, and the yearning of the Father's heart for those who are lost in sin. God's primary interest is not in things, is not in buildings, not in programs, but in people, real people with their sins and their problems, with all of the things that are happening in their lives and they feel helpless. God wants us to share his concern for the poor, the needy, the dispossessed, those who are suffering in one way or another, even during this time of Black Lives Matter, those who are still in the far country of sin. It's a mere service by keeping busy is not good enough. It must be service born out of love for God and our fellow human beings. A Scottish woman once told the following story. She said, I have two daughters who take turns coming to clean my wee house or my small house. Jean comes and leaves everything shining, but she makes me feel I'm an awful burden to her. But when Mary comes, no matter how dull the day or how low in spirit I'm feeling, she makes me feel she loves to be with me. They're both Christian women, she said, but there is a difference. Mary has what this poor world sadly needs, the Christian with a loving heart. But the third thing that this story says is that there could be salvation without happiness. Salvation without happiness. In verses 31 and 32, the father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now is found. The elder brother was one of the most unhappy individuals around. Look at the story. Everyone in the story is happy but the elder brother. The father is happy. His brother is happy. The servants are happy. The guests of the party are happy. The only person who is miserable is the elder brother. He is miserable because he refuses to be happy. The feast is there, and all he has to do is to go in and enjoy himself like the others. Instead, he is standing outside there pouting because he is not the center of attention and because he didn't get his way. What a shame. The elder brother's religion was one of legalism. It was a negative legalism, the meticulous observance of a series of thou shalt nots. Isn't this the way or the very attitude that has plagued the church for a long, long time? It's often called a fundamentalist attitude. Whatever 
we want to call it, we must admit that it is partly the church's fault that so many non-Christians have come to believe that being a Christian means no more than abstaining from this and refraining from that. God does not impose burdensome rules on the Christian to take the joy out of life. Christ came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. He does not take away from life. He adds to it. Much of what passes for Christianity today is dominated by a narrow, pharisaical attitude which Jesus condemned. It is tragically possible to get a small dose of religion, just enough to make us miserable, just enough to make us immune to the passionate commitment that gives real joy and happiness. The picture that most non-Christians have of us is by no means an attractive one. It is one which drives them further away from Christ and the church. For we do not always act and look, uh, look as though we are people marching unto glory. The elder son's self-righteousness prevented him from having a proper perspective on life and therefore unable to enter into the joy of the family. All that the father had was his, but his selfishness and distorted views of life prevented him from having any real friends with whom he could have had a celebration. One reason some people cannot enjoy their Christian life is that they keep it to themselves. Salvation is meant to be shared, and when it is shared, it brings a joy to the Christian's heart which the world knows nothing about. A church which thinks only of its own members and fails to reach out to the community is a dead church spiritually. A church made up of elder brothers and sisters who are unconcerned about the lost is not worthy of its name. God calls us into fellowship with himself in order that we may be partners with him in sharing his loving concern for our brothers and sisters still in the far country. Have you noticed that this is an open-ended story? Jesus did not tell us the response of the elder brother to his father's appeal. We are left with the question, what did he do? He said Jesus left it deliberately for a reason. Every individual must write his or her ending to the story. But also remember that the story is about the Father who waits and waits to welcome us back home when we sin. And when we come, he will receive us with open arms and assure us of his love. His love reaches out to the lost, the least, the lonely, and the lowly. His, he loves us all, no matter what color our skin may be, no matter how poor we may be, no matter how uneducated we may be, no matter how diseased our body may be, and no matter how wretched our life may be. God's love revealed in Jesus Christ can lift us out of the common place of life into the supernatural. It can lift us out of the valley onto the mountaintop. It can lift us out of the God of sin onto the throne room of God. It can lift us out of the dungeon of despair into the balconies of heaven. 
and can lift us out of the pits of frustration and fear onto the mercy seat of God. His love never grows old. It never becomes outdated. It never wears out. The more we rely on it, the more reliable we discover it to be. The more we trust it, the more trustworthy we find it to be. And the more we depend upon it, the more dependable we realize it to be. And still, the half has not been told of the love of God. No wonder John Newton could write, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Amen. Thank you for joining us here at Hope and Faith Ministry, a broadcast of the historic People's Baptist Church in Boston. We pray that you have been touched and inspired by today's message. People's Baptist Church is a Christ-centered, caring church located at 134 Camden Street at the corner of Camden and Tremont Streets. Our Sunday services are at 8 a.m. and at 1045 a.m. You can reach us at 617-427-0424. Come visit us in person or on the web at www.pbcboston.org. And tune in every Saturday morning at 1030 for another inspiring message of hope and faith.